Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm going to be your host for this advertising space as well as the podcast. But before we get down to the nitty gritty with our guest here, I've got to recognize the companies that make this totally possible. And what I mean by that is these podcasts, they're not cheap, right? We want to make sure that we bring in awesome guests. And these are the companies that support us in doing that and bringing amazing messages to you, the listeners. So the first company I want to recognize is Black Rifle Coffee. And Black Rifle Coffee, they fed, or I should say, they they helped me feed my caffeine addiction this past weekend while I was camping. I was using the Black Rifle Coffee instant coffee packs, and I stole a couple of creamer packets from a gas station that we're not going to mention, but the combination of the extra creamer packets and the Black Rifle Coffee, I know you're going to say he had creamer in his coffee, whatever, go screw. Um, I'm going to tell you that it was fantastic. It was exactly what I needed, and it kept me going this past weekend when I was at over 10,000 feet fishing for uh tiger trout and fishing for uh, brook trout. So Black Rifle Coffee, they're our friends over in Salt Lake City. They've been at a bunch of our events. We've been at a bunch of theirs. And whether you are using the instant coffee packets, you're using the Keurig K-Cups, you're using the ready to drink stuff, like I'm talking about the stuff that comes in the can, uh, or you were talking about the coffee that's ground or whole bean, you're not gonna go wrong with Black Rifle Coffee. Highly, highly recommend Silencer Smooth Beyond Black. Uh, Just Black is also good, Gunship, I don't care how I take it. I'm going to to have their coffee. Now, if you guys go to blackriflecoffee.com and you use the coupon code CRAFT15, that will give you a discount on their products when you check out. I don't know off the top of my head which products are the ones that are going to work with that code and which ones don't. I always say on the podcast, you guys have to just add it to your cart, apply the coupon code, and see if the there's anything that's taken off. Now, if there is, great either spend more of that money on more black rifle coffee or spend that money on ammunition, on uh, fishing tackle, whatever you want, but take advantage of the savings if you use our coupon code CRAFT15. So please check out blackriflecoffee.com. Uh, check them out on all their social media. Take a look at what guys like Matt Best and uh, Crispy are doing. They're doing some pretty funny ads over there. Uh, really, really solid folks. Please check them out, blackriflecoffee.com. Second company that makes this totally possible is Sig Sauer. Guys, I'm from New England and the Sig Sauer Academy was just two and a half hours north of where I used to live. So I've been to the Sig Sauer Academy uh, 20 plus times as a student and I don't know how many more times just going up there on you know shopping trips up towards like Kittery and, and Freeport and all that. So uh, the Sig Sauer Academy is world-class training. You can get training in pistol, shotgun, carbine, precision long rifle. They have medical courses. They've got some really awesome uh, armor courses too if you wanna learn how to assemble and disassemble firearms beyond basic field stripping. They do it all up there. That's at the Sig Sauer Academy. And Sig Sauer Academy is the training division of the larger company, which is Sig Sauer. And you guys have to be living under a rock if you don't know what Sig Sauer is. They make the 320, which is the M17 and the M18, the new army side uh, sidearm. They make the Sig Cross. They make the MPX, which is probably my favorite Sig firearm to date, just because it <laughs> you can shoot it way too fast. It costs you a lot of money when you do shoot it because you, uh, you can't just go through one box of ammo. You got to do a case. Um, but let me just put it this way. Sig makes some great products and you're going to find something that's going to fit you. Whether you get a 365 or you get a 320 or you get the classic line, like the 220, the 226, 225, the P210, which is like, if you're going to merc someone, <laughs> let me change that back. If you're going to shoot at someone in self-defense and you use a uh, P210, you're doing it in a very classy way. It's like the gentleman's or the ladies' pistol. It's so classy. Um, what a great firearm. That is the P210. Uh, definitely, definitely a cool firearm. So please check out SigSour.com. I guarantee there's going to be a firearm that's going to fit your needs. You're going to love it. And uh, you can tell the folks up at the Six Hour Academy that the friends over at Fieldcraft sent you. Guys, we're gonna get down to this podcast. So here we go. All right, guys uh, and gals. Uh, this is actually especially for the gals because we have a guest in our podcast studio who I'm trying to remember the first time we met. It was, I don't know. It was a while back, but all I knew was, hey, you need to reach out to Bree from Montana Grid Outdoors. I was like, okay. So I looked at the social media account and here's Bree and she's 
teaching women all about hunting and sharing her experiences hunting. And uh, actually, I think I do recall the first time we met was at a medical course. Yes, that's right. That was the same weekend that Jerry Young, who taught your medical course, that was the first time he ever taught at Fieldcraft Survival. Okay. Yeah. Because he just showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, and we're like, hey, go right in there. Yeah. And go, go, go teach this class. So guys, Bree is here with us in the studio. Uh, She is going to tell us all about hunting, her background and what you can get from following Montana Grit and kind of the the partnership that uh, we've got going on with them. So welcome, Bree. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm it, always happy to be here. Yeah, it's uh it's good to see you again. You're in town scouting for which season? Well, right now, um, we were hitting on the current season, the early elk season. Um, but the information was to cover overall, you know, throughout all the seasons, you know, of elk and and it goes for all the animals that you're gonna hunt, like a bear or a deer. Um, obviously they're going to eat something different. They're going to be in different locations. So it was all just geared around, you know, the basic scouting, why you go scouting, the benefits of it and how to find what you're looking for and have success in filling your tags. Yeah. One of the topics that we talk about when we've run the hunter prep class before, actually Jerry was my uh, assistant instructor on it last year. Uh, I asked this question of all the hunters in that class. I said, when does your hunting season begin? And they're, they're looking around, they're like, oh, a few months before, you know, maybe six months before. And I'm like, well, does it ever really end? And true hunters, as soon as that hunting season is over, they're already thinking of how they can improve next year. Yep. And it doesn't matter what time of year, like if you go hiking with a backpacker, they're going to miss some of the details in the backcountry that a hunter would pick up on. Yep. Um, so what are some of the things that you notice that the average person might not, if they don't have that hunting background? Um, you know, so today we were focusing on the current season, right? So it's the early season. And I was looking at all the plush green, um, you know, locating where all the water was in that area that looks like a really great feeding area for them. And just the open parks that we had found, um, it actually got me really excited when I was looking up there because I wanted so bad to just <laughs> find a road to get up there and just check it out, you know, when... Um, I mean, it, of course it would have to be in the evening cause it depends on what time of day, if you're actually going to see something, but I mean, it was such a great area. So, I mean, I was just looking at the parks. I was, you know, glassing across all through that, uh, timber there, those Alpines. Yeah. What's funny is when you're up on these fire roads, uh, out here behind us, uh, at Fieldcraft HQ, uh, it's almost like the animals know that hunting season is not happening like they become very bold and trepid like they'll be right by the road they'll be looking right at you like yeah that's right you can't shoot me yeah they know they know especially those those seasoned ones when you get those big bucks and those big bulls you know there's a reason you don't find them so easily you know they're not they're not dumb anymore yeah (laughs) they've got it figured out it's it's interesting we uh we took a ride up to uh mill preserve uh which is not far from from here and on that drive, I don't know how many bucks I saw. We even saw a moose on the, oh, on the roads, nice. which people don't realize that we have moose out here in Utah, but they're yeah. here and uh, they're they're all so close to the road. Like we didn't leave the road. We were just driving around to go and check out the sunset. But uh, my God, there are so many animals out there. Well, and there's not any pressure on them, right. you know, so they're just, they're doing what they do. You mm-hmm. know, they're kind of going wherever they want to go without feeling like they're going to get hunted. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you just brought up a key word that I think a lot of newbie hunters need to understand is this concept of pressure. And it doesn't matter if it's hunting or fishing, yep. but one of the worst times to go hunting is opening day or fishing opening day. And then for a couple of days afterwards, you may not see animals, whether it's fish or game in an area because they're, they know that someone is putting pressure on them. They're an animal's not stupid. It knows when it's being stalked. Uh, and, yeah. And pressure is a very, very real thing. Well, and they're constantly moving. Like around here, I mean, it's really populated. You know, you've got Salt Lake City nearby. You've got some populated areas. And so when you get that many people in the woods, I mean, the animals are just going back and forth. And mm-hmm. then it becomes a guessing game. You know, you, w- you went out scouting, you know, a week before opening day and then you get there and they're not there anymore. And then there's right. a bajillion people running around. <laughs> You right. know, so now you got to figure it out all over again. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you have to 
you have to take into account is how far are people willing to hunt from the road, right? Like yeah. you'll see a lot of people. And if you can see a person from, from driving down a road and you see them, there's probably going to be no animals there. Like you've got to get away from the vast majority and that might be five miles in. Yeah. And most people aren't willing to do that no. though. I mean, if you want to have a successful hunt and I, I hit on elk because mm-hmm. that's my passion. That's what I do. But you have to go where everybody else is not willing to go and putting in the work. And you also have to have the confidence to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been on hunts where, um, well, for example, me and, when me and my friend Sarah went out and I shot my first bull a couple seasons ago. And I mean, we ran into probably six hunters and not one person in the timber, not a footprint, nothing. Everybody stayed on those walk-in roads or they're driving around. And when I shot my bull, it was probably 200 yards from the walk-in road right below it. I mean, I had already walked by that spot. I just went up, we circled back around and ended up there. And that's where I shot it. (laughs) I think one of the reasons why people don't want to go far in is because they realize, wow, if I take a shot at something and I successfully drop it, I have to carry it out. Yeah. You, you have know, to figure it out. Yep. Which that speaks to a whole other aspect of hunting, which is be in good shape, right? Yep. Like th- think back to like caveman times and I'm being really, really like layman's with my, my prehistoric times. I, forgive me. Um, but imagine like early caveman. Do you imagine early caveman looking like a couch potato or do you imagine early caveman looking like some jacked gymnast, you know what I mean? Like just, yeah, they've, I mean, they had to have been just bulked, yeah. you know? I mean, can you imagine like the places they probably lived, the things they had to do and what they had to go through? It was a lifting day every day. Yeah. And they used to chase animals to the point of exhaustion where they would shoot them within 15 feet, not even 15 yards where the animal would bed down. Cause it was just tired of, of getting chased, you know, that's like, crazy. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> no, you know, meanwhile, like you go with some folks and they're like, yeah, we got close, you know, yeah. 600 yards. It's like, yeah. Oh, 600 yards. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get to this whole Montana grit thing. How, okay. What is Montana grit? How did it start? Well, I wanted to use my passion to help people. And I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to just help anyone. I had to find a niche and, as a female hunter over the years, I always wanted to go every season and I was always relying on somebody else because I didn't have the confidence. I didn't understand my gun. Um, I just didn't have the training basically, or, or a hand, like a teacher that I was following all the time. I was just given a gun and go that way, <laughs> you know? And then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to go do it. So I started hunting on my own. I was unsuccessful. Um, and then the season after that, I had a three-year-old and a three-month-old. And I couldn't find childcare. My husband was in the oil field. And so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to try because I loved it so much. I wanted it so bad. And I wasn't going to not do it just because I had babies and that, that I was afraid. So I did it afraid. And I went out and I shot my first solo buck with my baby and my toddler. (laughs) So, and after that, it really fueled Montana grit. I came up with it, I don't know, probably seven years ago. And, and it was directed from, you know, not having guidance. So I wanted to give women guidance because the confidence just isn't there for us when it comes to things like hunting and guns and stuff like that. If we backtrack just a minute, you said you shot your first solo bull. Uh, solo buck. Solo buck. I'm yeah. sorry. Solo buck. It was a white tail. <laughs> with, you said a baby and a three-year-old. Did you have them in the field with you? Is that well, what you mean? Well, the three-year-old I did. Um, in the field with you. Yeah. So the baby, be, you know, he was so little and we were driving around at that point. I had actually taken them out and we walked and we hiked and we looked and stuff and, um, didn't see anything. And then we went back out in the afternoon and the baby had fallen asleep. So me and Axel, my oldest boy got out of the truck and we, you know, went a few hundred yards and I could still see the pickup. I mean, we were, we were on private land. It was safe. I don't know how people perceive this story, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) it is what it is. I had to do what I had to do. So, 
Um, anyway, I saw a doe and I knew, cause it was during the rut. I was like, well, if there's a doe, there's definitely going to be a buck, you know? And so I was just like, all right, Axel, just don't move and just stay right there. And I had already taught him about guns. You know, he had already kind of knew to stay behind and, to, and all of that. And so I just dropped down and took one shot and it, you know, put it down. So it was, it was a really great shot, right? Blue exploded the heart. It was a six, five Creedmoor that I was hunting with at the time. And it was one of the most rewarding things I had ever done. It was such an eye opener, which is another thing that fueled Montana grit. Because after I did that, I was like, well, gosh, how come I can't go shoot an elk? You know, I'm definitely not going to take my kids to do that because they're loud, but, and they're stinky, <laughs> you know, elk, you know, their, their sense of smell is so strong and it's a whole different ball game when you're hunting elk. So yeah. Uh, the guys from Eastman's, uh, they said in the past, like, look at the animal that you're pursuing and look at what its largest sensory organ is, right? Like whitetail tend to have very large ears. Same thing with the mule deer. Like they'll hear you a mile away. Like you have to be very, very careful. Certain animals have uh, very elongated um, I forgot what the exact sensory uh, organ is in the nose, but they have such capability of smelling you so far away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you just have to look at the animal and see how it stays alive. You know, some animals are just dumb, you know, yeah. like some animals you can, you can drop, but other animals, there is a, there is a secret to it, whether it's movement or it's uh, staying, uh, you know, right of the wind, you know, like where you're not letting it get you and you're smelling it. Um, certain animals stink, you know, like yeah. you've been on bear hunts, you know, that yeah. they, they've got a very peculiar odor and you know, you're in bear country when you can smell them, um, yeah, which is sure. not a very reassuring sensation. Um, so now Montana grit it grew from these experiences and where is it now? Like what, what are you doing for programs for women? So Montana grit right now, um, we are in such a transition period. Uh, so originally it was fueled by the hunting because I wanted to offer fully catered, fully guided, all inclusive guided hunts for women of gold star families, women, veterans, and women who lost somebody to PTSD. And I knew that was just going to be the start. And, I need to reach even more broad with our target audience because there's only so many women that are going to be willing to participate. And I also don't want to limit it. You know, I want to reach all those women that have served and men too. So, you know, we offer programs for our veterans uh, through retreats. And also I have a good friend that we had brought in so I was telling you about earlier, off, he just retired from the SWAT in mm -hmm. Arizona and he wants to do a portion for the police force, which I have always wanted to do. I just didn't have the time or the capability right now to, you know, reach into that. So bringing him on is really, really important because now we can reach so many more people. Um, and the hunts right now are specific for the women. So um, eventually, you know, We'll bring in women who have served, women who have lost somebody who was serving on the police force and along with, you know, the veterans and the gold star and all of that. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we're really in a, in a period of transitioning and we just had a big event. Um, you know, we raised around $55,000, which will now fund our first hunts that we do. So... You know, we have a lot more fundraisers coming in. Um, you know, I'm trying to apply for grants and stuff, but it's really difficult. And the amount of time it takes, you know, we need to find somebody else to help us out with that. But And you said that when we were talking earlier before we got on, on air, you were saying that you were doing a lot of these hunts in Maine. And it was because that's where you grew up or that's where uh, you have a lot of history, a lot of background. So, so I grew up in Montana. Mm -hmm. um, now... Over, you know, back east there, um, I had met my biological father for the first time last September after I had done my bear hunt in Maine. And then I had, I had flown down to Long Island and met him for the first time and my two siblings. And he didn't know that I even existed this whole time, you know. And, and I grew up in, you know, Phillipsburg, Montana, tiny little town uh, with my grandmother because uh, my mother had passed away when I was really young and nobody knew him. 
you know, so it's just such a crazy story, but it was such a blessing. So I now, mean, <laughs> yeah. Hold on, hold on. So I've heard people talk about like, I might have a stepbrother. I might have a, a stepsister. I might like dad got around. Like I've heard about these people. I've never actually met someone who has actually experienced that, uh, where they're meeting their father for the first time. How does that happen? And what was that like? Okay. Um, so it happened through ancestrydna.com. And like I said before, um, you know, I had grown up knowing my sister's dad, who's the one that got us into, got me into hunting and all of that. Um, but I just, I always knew he wasn't my biological father. Mm -hmm. And he obviously knew that too, because my ethnicity is I'm half Jamaican. And I think there's some other things in there. And what's <laughs> and then, the other half? And then my mother, she, um, like German and, um, like European okay. kind of things, you know? So, I mean, this, it's funny how the story goes. Um, you know, she, she had met him, my biological father in Arizona when she was with my sister's dad and they had always had some struggles, you know, and stuff. And, you know, she, you know, made friends with my biological father and moved back to Montana and she was pregnant with me. Hmm. And then, you know, I was born. She didn't, she didn't say a word to him. She didn't tell anybody. Um, so when I got on that ancestry DNA, it was gosh, four years ago or so, nothing popped up for like three years. And then my dad's, my biological father, his niece got on there and she was a super close match with me. So she sent me a message and I hadn't checked it for so long, you know, and I was like, holy crap. And it, it was something I wanted so bad for so long. And um, so I told her my story and she was able to find him right away. And, That's crazy. and it was the best case scenario. I mean, cause a lot of times in these situations it goes bad, you know? Well, like the, like the guy or the gal like says, I don't want to know you. Yeah. I, yeah. That type of thing. Like, yeah. Or they have their, you know, a family and the, you know, significant other doesn't want the right, right. random kid to be interfering, you know? So, um, so he had sent me a letter with some photos like a month later cause he had to, had to soak it in, you know, he had to, <laughs> yeah um, process, process everything. <laughs> that's, that's the word I'm looking for. And, and for me, when, when I got that response with that letter and stuff, um, I was, I had never been so afraid of anything in my life, you know? And, and it's so crazy. You could want something so bad. And once you get it, it scares the crap out of you and you don't know what to do with it. Now you got what you want. Now, what do you do? <laughs> you know? And um, just leading up to meeting him in person, you know, once I did, I felt much better, you know, but it was like that fear of rejection and stuff, you know, and I don't know, just not knowing, you know, and, and it's, it, it's slightly humiliating, you know, just because, you know, the American dream, right? You know, you have this you know, mother and father that are married and everything kids, makes white, sense. White picket fence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everything Lemonade with real sense. slices of yeah. lemon in it. Yeah. And everybody has problems. Everybody, there's no such thing as a white picket fence. We all know that, but there's a borderline, you know, of normalcy when you're raised. And so when you have no sense and you can't gauge like that sense of, um, that bond and that connection with somebody, when you don't know what that's like, and then you, and now it's new for this, like I've been born for the first time and like building that connection. It's instant. I think, I think the million dollar question is, is your biological dad a hunter? He's not. Oh, this, <laughs> he's not. This is marketing gold. If Rob yeah. Parsons has any say in this, I think Rob Parsons would want you to go and do a, uh, a hunt with your dad. Man, that would be something awesome. Yeah. It really would because... I'm trying to convert my brother. So I have a brother and a sister as well. Um, and my full name is Brianna. Yeah. My sister's name is Brianna. <laughs> she's, she's 21. My brother's name is Chris. He's 24. And I've been getting Chris into it, into the guns and the hunting. And, you know, they were just up in Montana with me um, over my event that I had put on in July, at the end of July, 
you know, so we were able to take them out shooting and, you know, just exposing them to the hunting community that I'm in. And my dad is so supportive. I mean, wow, is he supportive of everything that I do. And so now that they're back East, I get to go back East and I can bring my kids and I can get childcare that way too with them and they get to see them and then I can do hunts, you know, stuff like that. So that's kind of why I'm going that direction Mm -hmm. because a guaranteed tag is really important as well where we do these guided hunts at. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. So hopefully I can get him, get him on board. I'm slowly working him into it slowly. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, an interesting discussion point right there too, is there is a right way and a wrong way to introduce people to hunting. And, you know, I've seen all the online discussion boards and the bumper stickers that are so in your face hunting where it's going to discourage a lot of the folks that are on the fringe, you know, and as a, and I get it, like I'm, I'm pretty passionate about hunting and fishing, but I also know that if I want to secure the pastime of hunting, the, the lifestyle of hunting, I also can't be over the top crazy, like in your face hunter, because I want to try to convert the person that says I would never hunt. I'd like to get them on a dove hunt you know, get it like something small, like very low emotional attachment to the animal that they're hunting Yeah, and then work them up like to the gophers. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're going to shoot prairie dogs, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I know that there are some common mistakes that people make when it, it's, let's get someone introduced to hunting for the first time. Uh, you know, often that's done with just the prep leading up to the hunting. Like, Hey, you're a small framed individual. We're going to give you a 300 wind mag rifle that happens to be a mountain rifle and it weighs seven pounds. That thing is going to kick your ass and you're probably not going to want to carry it. You're probably not going to want to train with it. You're probably not going to want to shoot it. Yeah. For starting out. Yeah. Big mistake, right? Like don't screw with people on the range. Give them something right. that's comfortable. That's still capable. Right? Yeah. What are some of the mistakes that you've seen or some of the mistakes that you've heard of that people make when it's trying to introduce someone brand new into the hunting world? Um, one of the number one ones that I do see is the shooting part of it. Um, and I can tell you, I had set myself up for failure so many times because I didn't know my rifle. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand sighting it in. I would just grab it every year and I would just go and then I just bullets would be flying, you know? Um, another thing is, so yeah, so knowing your rifle range time, being confident in your shot because That is the most important thing in hunting is taking that shot because you want that shot placement to be good. You want to be as accurate as you possibly can so that, you know, you're not wounding animals and, you know, they're not suffering, you know, and you're, you're getting that success. And then the, the next thing is knowing your area, Mm -hmm. like, you know, cause we went out, we did that scouting content. Well, knowing your area is definitely key because, and I've winged it a lot, you know, but the places that I wing it, I've, I just know the areas so well that I hunt that I just know where I'm going. You know, I know that I'm going to run into something and I always do. I've always ran into them, whether I'm successful or not, I've always gotten into them, you know, so knowing your area and understanding, you know, how to approach it. You might have learned from one of the best in the business, even though he will never claim to be the the best. He's definitely among the best, if we want to say that. But you were just down in North Carolina with with Kevin Owens. I was. That was it was pretty awesome. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You sit in on a ballistics class with Kevin Owens or a two late long range class with Kevin Owens. And you're (laughs) like, oh, my God, this guy has forgotten more about long range than I ever learn. Yeah. What was what were some of the takeaways of working with a guy like who ran a sniper school, who won the international sniper competition. Like the dude's a legend. Yeah. What was it like learning from Kevin Owens? Oh my gosh. It was so great because you could just tell, like he just gets this fire in his eyes. He just lights up, you know, when he, and he was teaching, he started out by teaching us about like MOA, you know, and stuff like in mills and, and understanding it, you know, when you're dialing your scopes and everything and, and then getting out there in the range, like just all those little key points that he saw when I was shooting you know, I didn't realize that the stock of my gun was too short. Or I guess it wasn't. You're talking about the height? The height, yeah. Yeah. It needed to be raised. Mm-hmm. And to my cheek. 
And the reason I chose that gun though specifically is because of the grip on it because my hands are so small. So it was, it's a really comfortable gun for me to shoot, to hunt with and, but the stock need to be raised. So, (laughs) so he helped me get, get that figured out. And he put like these little pads on my gun on the stock to raise it up to my cheek and like wrapped it in like medical tape yep, and then yep. put this like electrical t- and it's still on there because and then my scope wasn't far back enough and so we moved the scope back and everything and i had scored these two um range tickets at hyatt guns in north carolina at their range and their range is freaking sweet it is it's a nice range and so i went there and when i was shooting i mean i raised that gun up just to take my shot and it was boom. I got that clear picture that I didn't realize that I was fighting for for so many years. I mean, just all those little things. And it was great for him to just sit there and he was, in two seconds, he was like, all right, this, this, that. It's simple stuff, you know? Yeah, people think we sell SAM splints on our website just for medical purposes, but the SAM splint is (laughs) aluminum with padding on it. And if you cut it and tape it in place, it raises the the height of your stock up and the goal is when you get and you mount that rifle you can put your cheek in a consistent spot over and over and over and you could do it with your eyes closed when you open your eyes you should be able to look through that scope and see a perfect sight picture and it sounds like that's yep, exactly what that's exactly what i got now yeah. so now my success is even better um but yeah working with uh kevin was really it was such a blessing because he is so full of so much knowledge yeah, no you know? doubt about it. And it takes everything I have not to like bug him because when I'm out shooting and I'm doing stuff, you know, I'm trying to learn things and he's like, he's the best person to be able to reach out to, but you know, I hold back and I get it figured out, you know, cause otherwise I'd be blowing his phone up all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah <laughs> be like, who's it- this Montana grit chick? Get her out of here. <laughs> so you had a chance to, to work with Kevin. You had a chance to work with, uh, uh, our Instagram friend, Rosie K bar, who is Kirsten. Yes. And, uh, it, it was kind of cool because you had a chance to learn from Kevin Owens, who has a military background, Kirsten, who has a uh, law enforcement background, yep. great firearms instructor. Uh, what were some of the takeaways that you got from Kirsten? She's an incredible instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very hardcore, you know, like she is a tough, tough lady. And, I, you know, she just has like this confidence and she didn't really, we didn't do a whole lot of shooting Mm -hmm. together with the handguns, but the little bit that we did get to do like the stress test, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like she knew I could do it, you know? And I was, I was like, man, I've never done this before, but let's, here we go, you know? And, and she showed me how to do it and stuff. And, um, it was really helpful you know, for my confidence, because she did it before me and I watched her and stuff. And she just, you could tell she just moves so good, you know, like she's, she knows what she's doing. Yeah. A lot, a lot of very careful practice. So she's not building training scars and again, just a a good instructor all around. Yeah. Um, She's very, um, she pays attention to everything and everyone and what they need. You know, what I took away from that truly too was, I have a long ways to go. Yeah. Well, always be a student, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Always be a student. There's there's, something that you can learn from everyone. Yeah. There's so much that I need to learn, you know? And if the more I can learn from her, from her, you know, that, that would be awesome. So now on the flip side of that coin, one of the times that I was, uh, I was teaching a class, I forgot which one it was here at Fieldcraft. It might've been, I might've been doing like a survival class. You were upstairs at HQ teaching a women's intro to hunting class. And oh, yeah, first yeah. off, I'll say, I don't know what you were teaching, but keep doing that because every one of those women that took that class came down and spent a lot of money in the <laughs> store, uh, which is good for business. Um, yeah. But every one of them was, you know, singing your praises and they, they loved it. So one of the reasons why they liked it is they said you brought an understanding of hunting from a female perspective saying that women face different needs in the great outdoors than men can you yeah. go through some of those uh just for the listener that might be wondering like well how is it different or what is so different about the female hunting experience than a male hunting experience well um you know to start with it's very intimidating just choosing a gun mm-hmm. and being comfortable to shoot it especially when you, you know, if there are men around when you're learning these things or if men are teaching you that don't understand the specifics that we 
need to know because like as women, like if you tell us to do something a certain way, we're going to do it how you say we're going to do it. But if you don't understand why we're having a hard time and can't critique that, then it's just frustration and then it's emotional and then, you know, it's not fun. Um, and then another thing is, is sense of direction, you know, just getting out there in the woods, you know, and also women are not built like men. We aren't, we don't have the type of strength that men have physically. And so, and going out there in the woods and you're, you know, trying to navigate just the thought of, you know, am I going to get lost? You know, there's a little bit more fear just because of the insecurity of it. Um, and then, okay, so once I shoot the animal, am I, or am I actually going to even hit the animal? Am I going to hit it? Am I going to, you know, so everything that I hit on is very specific when I do these classes, because I mean, there are so many things that go through a woman's head that is new to hunting. You know, when somebody just throws a gun in their hand and tells you to follow them basically through the woods without specifying what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Then, and I've caught myself doing this back in the day when I didn't have the knowledge of hunting, but I would go, I would look at my feet. I was looking at my feet. I was, you know, just kind of bebopping around, relying on the person in front of me to just see the animal and, you know, direct me to shoot it. Whereas that's not what you should ever do. <laughs> You know, if you're going to take somebody hunting and you know that they're new, every step of the way should be a lesson, you know, like looking at the different ridges, um, you know, doing little tests like, okay, which way is the truck, you know, when you reach a certain point, you know, just all those little things. So in these classes, I hit on a lot of, um, you know, like, for example, shot placement you know, to build the confidence in taking the animal down. Okay, well, this is where you want to aim. You know, you don't want to shoot it if it's facing you. You don't want to shoot it if it's facing straight away from you. Take a good shot. Do what it takes to be respectful in your shot as well to that animal because they deserve for you to take a good shot on them and not shoot them in the ass to slow them down like <laughs> some people do, you know, but some, you know, some people are different when they're hunting, whatever, but I don't encourage that type of stuff. Yeah. Know? I think, I think for women who are getting into the, the great outdoors, as you mentioned, it can be very intimidating going to a gun store because there, a lot of people know gun store talk exists, yeah. right? Like there's going to be the, the FUD or the Elmer or whatever you want to call them, who's going to be like, well, and I'm sure yeah. that the terms like little Missy or something like that, like there's a lot of like derogatory terms that yeah. they might not even realize that they're thrown out there are going to turn you off to begin with. Yeah. Uh, where you take that shot, right? Shot placement. It's if someone's like, oh yeah, you know, center of mass. Well, they might be coming from a self-defense perspective. Well, right. center of mass might be that ass shot, but it's not a, a good shot that's going to drop the animal. Right. So there are all these little mistakes. Like another one is taking for granted the terms that you and I know that the average per or the, the newbie doesn't right. right. Like, oh, well, Attach it to your swivel stud. Well, what's a swivel yeah, stud? What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it, there are all these little things that we just take for granted. Yeah. Um, but it's cool that you're identifying these and that you're able to incorporate that into the lesson plan yeah, because I that mean, gives the the women that you're teaching a better chance at success. Yeah, I was in that class. I was able to compress everything and simplify it. You know, like I put pictures up of a mule deer doe, a white-tailed doe, and a cow elk. Okay, this is the difference between all of these animals. So when you spot a deer out in the woods, you need to know whether that's a white-tail mm -hmm. or a mule deer because you could illegally shoot a deer if you don't know the difference. You know, so just simple things like that. Like, you know, a white-tail doesn't have a white butt. A mule deer does. A mule deer doesn't flip its tail up. It has a black dot at the end of its tail. And it's all white, whereas, you know, a white tail, it's not white till he flips his tail and runs off, <laughs> you know? So there's just so many little things that need to be hit on to have that success in the hunt, you know? Um, I think I was talking to Amber earlier today about um, my, when I shot my bull and, and one of the big things I hit on is 
risk taking the risk. So when you have to make that decision to shoot, you need to get to a position where you can actually see them well enough to shoot. You know, so sometimes it's like, well, gosh, if I move this way, you know, are they going to see me? Are they going to, well, you just have to try. You have to decide what's the best path to take to get to where you can see them and take a good shot. So you're going to have to risk being seen. You're going to have to risk them winning you, you know. So there's just so many different decisions that you have to make. That decision to take a shot at something, uh, <laughs> it reminds me when we do firearms courses, you know, when we go over the four universally understood firearm safety rules, you know, one of the rules is know your target, what's behind it, right? Uh, one of the rules is um, never let the muzzle cross anything you're not willing to destroy. And I always add, because I bring the civilian perspective, I'm not military, I'm not law enforcement. Yeah. So I bring the civilian perspective, I'm like, never let your muzzle cross anything that you're not willing to destroy. And then I add, or pay for. Right. Because if you shoot the wrong animal, <laughs> yep. my God, can those fines be expensive? Yep, and be in trouble. And if you're on like an international hunt, those safari trophy tags, if you're on like a degradation hunt, it might be the difference of not paying for anything because you're doing a service as a professional color or a, a paid color, or you could be paying 10 grand for an animal because you shot the wrong one. So yeah. it's like, you gotta know what you're doing. <laughs> you gotta know. I mean, you need to do your homework on it. And you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, just Google it. I mean, you right. can you can find all kinds of different pictures. So you know, you know, like a mule deer, you know, they have two beams, mm -hmm. you know, versus why a tail doesn't, you know? And um, there's just so many different, different things when it comes to hunting that you need to take into consideration. but you also can't allow that all to overwhelm you. Right. You know, right. because the more that you're out there and you do scouting and stuff like that, you know, the more this becomes muscle memory, you know, and even, even scouting can be intimidating, you know, for new hunters. So it's like, okay, scouting, what do I, what do I do with that? You know? And it's like, well, we have things like Google maps mm -hmm. and Onyx where you can choose an area for the season you're hunting in, right? So, yeah. I mean, there's just so many different things you can do. And then you go to the area if you can find the access to it and check it out. Get up there, walk around, learn the territory, you know? I think, so. I think with scouting too, if you tell someone, I'm gonna give you something very specific, like you're gonna search for something as opposed to looking for anything that changes the whole scouting dynamic too. Like if you say you're going to go out and you're just going to search for tracks, right? Not sign, just tracks. Uh, that's different than saying, go out and look for anything that relates to the animal you're going for. Well, what, what does that mean? Are you looking for sheds? Are you looking for, you know, animal droppings? Like, but if you say like, you're going to be looking for sources where that animal could drink from, mm -hmm. you know, very, very different. And it's not as overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, there's four things that they need, you know? I mean, you got water, you got feed, breeding, and a home for them, basically. Like places where they feel safe until mm -hmm. they're either pushed out by weather or pressure of some sort, you know? So, I mean, as long as they have all of those things within the season that they're in, then that's a good start you know, when you're looking on like Google maps or Onyx maps or something like that. We talked about, uh, bringing someone on like an ideal first hunt. If you were to choose like a cookie cutter hunt, like, Hey, if I could plan it exactly the way that I would want it to go, what would the ideal hunt be for someone? Doesn't have to be a gold star family. Um, but just your average person, what would their ideal first hunt be if you could plan it? I would say, because I go big all the time, <laughs> this is my brain, um, a cow elk hunt. Because first of all, the meat is so good. Second of all, it's still more of a challenge. Um, and I mean, they're just so big, you know? So everything that it takes, like the experience you're gonna get through that hunt, is gonna be pretty awesome, especially for you know your first animal. Because when you're hunting a cow elk, typically like what I would do if I was setting this up is I would try to do it 
on private land, you know, and I would make sure that, you know, the scouting happens and all that stuff so that I can get this person set up. So we know for sure that we're going to go in and we're going to have success, you know? So, you know, I would teach them along the way. If I could bring them scouting, good. If I can't, that's fine. You know, it's just what's going to happen throughout that whole entire time of working your way up to that animal is a reward in itself. You know, even whether you're, you know, having to sit somewhere or if you're hiking, you know, through the timber to get to the spot where you know they're going to come out and feed. I mean, everything that leads up to that, you know, the other animals you're going to possibly see on the way, the different tracks in the snow and just listening to the quiet when you do it. You know, there's, I'm providing, you know, through our hunts, you know, we're providing the help through setting these hunts up. But what happens after that is completely out of our control. You know, it's, it's a, it's a transformation that happens inevitably to anybody that has that sort of an experience, whether they admit it or not. I mean, it's inevitable. So that is a pretty big hunt. That is my (laughs) ideal, you know, all we got to do now is just find enough people with private land that will let you, Yep. (laughs) you know, and people, people are pretty good about it. You know, I mean, I could, it's definitely doable. It's just a matter of like timing because I try to avoid my personal hunting season because I still have to put food on the table too. And my husband does too. I just have this crazy passion, you know, for hunting and, um, and I like to eat that way, you know, because I know where it came, come, comes from. I process it myself. Um, my husband works his butt off and trust me, he hunts his butt off too, but I, it's in my heart and in my blood more, you know. Have you <laughs> so. pretty much gotten away from store-bought meat? Yes. Yeah. Really? Everything in my freezer is either wild game or local beef from, you know, a local rancher. Awesome. Yeah. We, we stay in that direction. So. One of the things I like doing with podcast guests is just a whole bunch of rapid fire questions before we, we wrap up. So I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of rapid fire questions. You don't need to give me a super long answer. Uh, You don't even need to tell me why, but just a response. So here we go. Let's do some rapid fire questions. (sighs) Bree from Montana Grid Outdoors. Uh, You've mentioned the 6.5 Creedmoor a few times in this podcast, but what rifle and what optic do you shoot that 6.5 Creedmoor round out of? Well, so here's the story about the 6.5 Creedmoor. <laughs> These okay. are supposed to be rapid fire, Bree. Come I on. know. Oh my gosh, it's not my gun. It's my husband's gun. Okay. And we were trying to sign it in the other day, and I don't know a lot about it because it's it's new and all that, so yeah. I, don't, I have no idea. I think it's a Savage. Okay. Yeah. It's Savage a really is- nice one. It's black and really heavy. And it has a Vortex scope on it. It is a Vortex Viper. Um, that's what I know about that gun. Okay. It's really, really a kick-ass gun. Yeah, Savages are built like tanks. Yeah. Um, the whole point of me bringing that gun was so I could learn about it. <laughs> that's the one that you use with Kevin Owens, right? <laughs> but I'm not going to bull crap. No, that was my um, my Christensen Arms, Arms 7 Meg. Okay. That's what I hunt with. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next rapid fire question. Favorite cut of meat off of any game animal? Oh, obviously the backstraps. Really? Not tenderloin? No. Okay. The backstraps back all day long. All right. You can cut it with a fork. Rap, rapid fire question number three. How do you feel about someone who grinds backstrap into burger? Um, I'm not quite sure I should answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of my fishing Unless buddies. Unless it's a mule deer. I will judge you. Yeah. One of my, one of my fishing buddies from back home, he's actually a great hunter. Um, but he told me, he's like, oh yeah, I don't even bother cutting them into steaks. I just have the butcher grind everything. And my mouth dropped. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, I mean, he hunts a lot. He, I'd have a straight up flop down if I saw somebody. Oh that. my God. I heard that. And I, I shed a tear, right? It was, it was bad. Yeah. Rapid fire question number four. If you could hunt with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Randy Newberg. I don't even know who is that. He is from Bozeman, Montana, mm-hmm. and he has hunted so many different states. And he puts in for tags 
every, I mean, he is just, and he's a public land hunter and he's just a straight up, just a good dude. He's passionate about it. He loves to teach people. He wants everybody to have success. So that's who it would be. Rapid fire question number five. If your hunting season could have a soundtrack, what song would be playing through that soundtrack? Oh, man. I, was, I wasn't going to stump you with the food. I wasn't going to stump you with the gun. I knew I would get you with You're the You're going to stump me. You know what just came to my mind? What's that? I will totally sing it. What is it? That song. Holy guy. <laughs> I, I, that popped into my head. What song I'm is like, that? yes, I'm going to get it. It's an old school song. Gosh dang it. Okay. I might have sang it wrong. But that was the first thing that came to my mind. Hey, I'm like, yes, we're getting it. Hey, as long as it's in your mind and like, you can hear it. I just had this picture just stomping through the woods to this song. Like, yes, All I'm, right. I'm getting this. So if people want to find you, where do they find you? Well, I usually don't have cell phone service. Mm -hmm. But what's the IG handle? Oh, you mean like literally like, yeah, like to look up Montana Grit? Yeah, the, I thought we're, we were, we're, okay. No, no more rapid fire I thought questions. we were like in the woods still. No, I'm, I'm pretty much good with like five I'm still singing that questions. song. Is it Holy Giver? Holy, you know. I don't know that song. Okay, you need to know it. <laughs> okay. okay, anyway. So Instagram, mm -hmm. um, Montana Grit Outdoors on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we've got our website, montanagritoutdoors.com. Um, and that is it. Just those three places. Awesome. Well, I'll so, tell you something. You know, I knew we were going to talk about hunting. I didn't know we were going to get into all the great details of, of finding your father. I think that's awesome. I love yeah, what you guys are cool. doing with your company, with getting people into the great outdoors. I think we need more of that. Um, I think you guys should definitely check out Bree. She's got a lot of cool stuff that she's doing. Uh, what else did we not cover? Like, is there anything that we should we should end on? I'll leave the last words to you. Um. I just want to hit on just a, just really quick because my nonprofit sounds like it's all over the board a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's hard to compress, you know? So we offer fully, um, guided, all inclusive guided hunts for women of Gold Star families, women veterans, women who lost somebody to PTSD, women who served in the police force, women who have lost somebody in the police force. And then we do all inclusive, fully catered veteran retreats and also, um, police officer retreats men and women both so if you want more information you can reach out to us on our website montanagritoutdoors.com fantastic well Bree, thanks so much for joining us today guys gals you heard it here uh please check out montana grit outdoors and thank you so much for listening to us on the field crafts for all podcast kevin estella till next time we'll see you